our Kent Hughes writes, a study of the history of the ancient world tells us that none of today's social distinctions, none of our racial barriers, our narrow nationalisms, our iron curtains are more exclusive or unrelenting than the separation between the Jews and Gentiles in biblical times. The Jews believed the Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. A common motto was, the best of the serpents crush, the best of the Gentiles kill. It was not lawful to aid a Gentile woman in giving birth, for that would bring another heathen into the world. The Gentiles, even apart from their animosity for the Jews, had their own parochial hatreds for anyone not like them. Plato said that the barbarians, that is anyone who wasn't Greek, were his enemies by nature. The Roman, Livy, confirmed this in his day, saying, the Greeks wage a truceless war against people of other races, against barbarians. And, of course, this was eminently true of the imperialistic Romans themselves. Folks, mankind needs a massive dose of reconciliation. Reconciliation to God, reconciliation to one another, as there is hatred everywhere, discrimination, prejudice, and the like are as bad now as at any time. People hating one another because of race, color of skin, religion, gender even, age even, socioeconomic standing, of course. Sinful human nature builds barriers to keep others out simply because of a prejudice or a dislike for no appropriate reason. In Bible times, the pride of the Greeks looked scornfully at non-Greeks as barbarians. The Jews viewed the Gentiles as dogs and the Samaritans as half-breeds. Today, I want us to again frame this argument about racism. Likely to get a bit uncomfortable here this morning, but God is big enough for our discomfort. And I want to share a resolution to it in a titled message, Racial Alienation, Spiritual Reconciliation. If you'd make your way to Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 22, and as you are making your way there, parenthetically, I'm thankful for the new bulbs that we have in the projector. They are vivid and brilliant. Thank you, Chris Papin, for all the hard work in that. Acts chapter 22, verses 22 through 29, and then we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 22. And they listened to him until this word, and then lifted up their voices and said, away with such a fellow. Listen to him until what word? Well, until the word of verses 20 and 21, and when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, that is, you all did this, I also was standing by, I was involved in it too, even though I was a Pharisee, and consenting unto his death, and kept the raiment, the clothing of them that slew him, and he said unto me, depart, for I will, that is, God sent unto me, depart, for I will send thee far from here unto the Gentiles. God had said to a former Pharisee that the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. That's the context. That is what is leading up to verse 22. They listened to him until this word, until he said that. And then they lifted up their voices and said, away 
with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the barracks and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he should know for what reason they cried so against him. And as they bound him with, um, with thongs, with wraps, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. But Paul said, I was free born. Then immediately they departed from him who should have examined him, that is, who should have whipped him and beat him. And the chief captain also was afraid after he knew that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. The sin of racism is quite pronounced in the book of Acts, in our study. And we've been studying verse by verse through the book of Acts on Sunday, Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And racism is, again, very evident in this passage. That's what caused them to erupt when he said the Gentiles are worthy of receiving the goodness of God. The people reacted and, um, and they went after Paul because of his, him saying God had commissioned him to evangelize the Gentiles. I'd like to raise three points about this issue of racism, uh, dealing with what it is, really how it works, wh- what we need to look out for, and uh, how we ought to view it uh, as believers. The first thing that we need to see in verses 22 um, through 29 is the abstract of racism. Now, an abstract is a summary of something. If you have an abstract of theology, uh, it's basically a book or a, a writing that has been reduced down to its basic components. It's the synthesized view of something. It's really the, the, the guts of it. It's the basic components of something. And uh, we can identify, and if we do identify the abstract of racism, we will better understand what it is when we see it. We will know what it looks like. We'll be able to say, hey, that's it. I can even detect it in my own life better if I really do uh, have an understanding of its basic, how it basically operates. And so if you wonder... If you have seeds of racism in your heart, if you wonder if you're tempted that way and maybe even succumb to it, consider these two operating principles. And we see them right here in the text. First of all, racism is often exposed verbally. That is, it first comes to the surface. Now, we can't know for sure about uh, racism in someone else's heart. We might be able to know for it uh, uh, about it in our own heart. And when I say verbally, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, audibly, but it has to do with thoughts or words. It's that kind of a thing. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so don't be too literal on this when I say verbally. But that's how it was exposed right here in verse 22. They listened to this word and then they lifted up their voices, basically saying, let's put this guy to death, not put him to death because he was a Jew. Well, they were Jews, not put him to death because of his history of being a Jewish leader. He was a Pharisee. He was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. He went, he was the best educated. He was the, a Pharisee among Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, he had all the credentials. No, that's not why they they were going to go after the apostle Paul. They were going after him because he would dare say God can about the Gentiles. That is worthy of death for you to say that the God of Israel has any care for anyone other 
than us. We're going to kill you. Racism was exposed verbally by what they said. And it's still the case. People, especially lost people, tend to mistrust and to look down upon those who look and act different than themselves. I mean, really, that's the whole issue of racial profiling nowadays. And, and uh, do, we, uh, do we treat um, Middle Eastern young men, uh, 20 and uh, 25 and 30 and 35 year olds, uh, in a, in a, uh, uh, like an airport uh, kind of a situation? Are we to profile that particular demographic in the world? Um, because after all, uh, into the uh, 96, 7, 8 percentile of terrorist bombers fit that profile. And so and we're struggling with that in, in the world and as, as a people about what to do about that. People can mistrust and look down upon others and it will flavor the lives uh, of, it can even flavor the lives of believers. We had a constitution committee meeting yesterday and there were four of us uh, uh, just uh, going over the Red Bridge Baptist Church constitution because we were looking at uh, considering a couple of constitutional amendments. And I noticed, and I had never noticed it before, that in Part of our constitution, uh, it said, had to do with membership that anyone uh, professing faith in Christ who is genuinely born again, who knows the Lord, has been scripturally baptized as following the Lord, anyone, and then it says, regardless of race, can be admitted to church membership by vote of the church. And I thought, wow. That just caught my attention. Maybe it's caught my attention because all week long I've been studying this issue of racism. And I thought, no, I have never noticed that before. And I got to thinking, why was that phrase, regardless of race, put in the church constitution? Well, of course it's regardless of race, I thought to myself. Why, why do we even need to say that? Even saying it is a bit inflammatory, it seems like to me. But I wanted to defer to the wisdom of those where that came from. And you'll remember, we were constituted as a church in what year? In, constituted in 65. 40 years ago, we just had our 40 there, but we came a chapel in 63. So presumably in 63 and in 64, the constitution was being developed. Probably we inherited some of the constitution from Bethany Baptist Church, which was likely 100 years old at that time. And so probably somewhere in 1963, 1964, and certainly by early 1965, our constitution was pretty much set. Hmm, I wonder what was going on in the United States in the mid-60s. <laughs> you, you follow where I'm, where I'm going with that? I mean, race, racial problems everywhere. The race riots in 1968 at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago in 1968. The race riots here in Kansas City uh, during the summer of 1960. I can remember it like it was yesterday, although I was uh, uh, 11 years old or so. It seemed so real to me and how scary it was, and I didn't understand it all. And yet, all and Martin uh, Luther King uh, Jr. And, and walking through Alabama and Rosa Parks and all of that was just turbulent. And during those days, Redbridge, this was way out in the suburbs. I mean, 110 blocks south uh, of the river, we were way out in the suburbs in the early to mid 60s. And of course, it was an absolutely all white community. Uh, I say that just trying to remember back. And this church, I mean, when I say all white, I mean, you know, in the 90 percentile. And so This, the forefathers of this church, I believe, said, even though we are in all Anglo-Saxon, we're all of European descent who are a part of this church, 
That very well may not always be the case. And it very well may be uh, that uh, the demographics of our community um, will change over time. And we want it said right now on the front end that we will not tolerate racial division in God's church. Amen. And so what seems to be inflammatory when I looked at it yesterday, 40 years ago, 40 plus years ago, probably was saying on the front end that we know God is not a respecter of persons and nor are we going to be. Racism can be verbally evident in the derogatory names that people of other races are called. And I thought, it, I thought about going through a litany of those names, of just listing every single name that I know uh, that is a derogatory one. And I wanted to do that because I'm just that provocative of a person sometimes. And then I, I, I deferred to better discretion and I thought probably not best to introduce those names to our six, seven, and eight, and nine, and 10 year olds who don't already know them. And so parents, you don't need to take that nitroglycerin pill if you were going to, you can, you can relax. I'm not going to say those, but you know what they are and you know that they're said everywhere and they always have been. Racism is exposed. It comes to the surface by what we're thinking and what comes out in how we say it. Secondly, racism is often expressed violently. And that's what happens in verses 23 through 29. It's evident uh, in these two ways. The, the violence of the Jewish leaders, they wanted to inflict violence upon Paul because he wanted to care for the Gentiles and the Romans, we also see racism here because they refrained from inflicting violence on him because he was a Roman and he wasn't a non-Roman. Did you follow that? See, that was racism as well. They were perfectly happy to beat him with a whip within an inch of his life and then go home for lunch and didn't care one thing about it until they heard him say, I'm a Roman. Oh, we got to step back. It's okay if we whip bloody anyone else, guilty or not. That is not relevant. If we thought he was an Egyptian, as they originally thought, or they thought he was some, something else, a Greek or something. Oh, but you, you have Roman citizenship? Oh, well then, we're not going to do that. Again, racism. And racism, we see it everywhere. We see it in, in our streets. We see it. Maybe you can even detect it in your heart. Think about someone other than your particular demographic. And I've got to try that on in my own life. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. I'm European descent. Uh, I, 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 there's, I'm a Heinz 57. I mean, I'm England and German and, and, and this, and Pam is Norwegian. I mean, she's North uh, and uh, Northwestern European descent. We're pretty much Heinz 57 kinds of folks. Now I need to think about those whose bloodline is much more pure. That is Africans. And how does, that, how, do, how, does, how does that flavor me? And Asians and those who have been uh, inbred, if I can use that term, um, behind the communist wall in China for decades and maybe even for centuries or generations. Anyway, how do I feel about them as a people group? How do you? And I want you to try that on. Is there something in your soul that says, I don't trust, I don't like, and I just as soon Steer clear of someone in that particular race, ethnicity, language group, nationality along that line. 
You can reduce racism down, it seems to me, to a, a thought of the heart that might be expressed verbally all the way to being violently. Now, secondly, the absurdity, the absurdity. And that is probably too light of a word. The absurdity of racism for the believer, especially racism is utterly absurd. And in three particular ways, and I really want you to lock into this. And, and, and young people, I especially want you, um, if uh, uh, maybe you go to school or, or you play on a ball team with those of a different race than you and, or in the neighbor or, or whatever, I want you to lock into the absurdity of racism on three particular points. First of all, racism violates the spiritual laws of God. That ought to be self-evident. God hates racism and so should all believers. God hates racism and so should all believers. All of us. Four Four times in scripture. I can't think of another Verse or another phrase that is listed four times in the word of God. I'm getting hot in this message. You might be as well. I'm undoing my tie a little bit. Hope you don't lose your joy with that. Four times in scripture, the principle is stated. There is no respect of persons with God. In 2 Chronicles 19.7, in Romans 2.11, in Ephesians 6.9, in Colossians 3.25. Again, 2 Chronicles 19.7, Romans 2.11, Ephesians 6.9, Colossians 3.25 says, God does not play favorites based upon race or gender or age or beauty or education or um, uh, financial uh, socioeconomic level. He does not play favorites based on any of that. Those he chooses to set his love upon. Why does he do it? He does it according to the good pleasure of his will. Not how intelligent you are, how rich you are, how educated you are, or what color your skin is. He doesn't use any of that criteria. And for us to be like him, we must also never be respecters of persons. It is absurd for a believer to be like that. Scripture says, That God determined the appointed, he appointed the times for the empires and for the nations and for the various people groups. In Daniel 4.35 says that God does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand. He's the one who sets up Pharaoh, moves Pharaoh like a a piece of uh, a chess piece on a board and, and dethrones Pharaoh. God's the one who has done that. And he uses even the evil of men to praise him. Deuteronomy 32, 8 says, God sets the geographic boundaries of nations. He is sovereign over empires, nations, and people groups. And since he is the creator, it follows that he has placed you in your race by, according to his will. Did you hear that? He has placed you in the race that you are, the gender that you are, uh, your, your geographical location, he has providentially superintended that because he's the one who has knit you together in your mother's womb, according to Psalm uh, chapter, one night, uh, chapter 139. He's the one who has done that, and he could have done it in another way if he would have chosen. He could have made you uh, jet black. He could have made you snow white. He could have made, made you some uh, shade of color in between that. He could have made you a different gender than you are, caused you to be born at a different time if he would have wanted to. He is sovereign over the affairs of men. And because God is not a respecter of persons, because he is the creator, 
then we must acknowledge one another of greatest value in the family of man. Racism violates the temporal laws of government. And you know, Romans chapter, and this is an important point. You say, well, I don't march to the, the drumbeat of Washington, D.C. My political party is not in power right now anyway. Romans 13, the word of God says, he is the one who has ordained and established governments for our good so that we, so that, so that peacefulness and order could be added to our lives. Racism is anything but peacefulness and order. It is chaos and it is war and it is hatred. And God said he hasn't decreed that governments be raised up for that reason, but so that we might live peaceful and orderly lives in all godliness before him. And so racism violates the temporal laws of government um, to the degree that the Declaration of Independence says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, meaning we really don't even need to state them, but we're going to, even though they're already very evident to everyone. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Everyone ought to know this. There ought not be any discussion about this whatsoever, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I guess somehow some of our liberal friends and our, and the ACLU crowd haven't ever read the first part of the declaration of independence, or they would have to declare that the declaration of independence is unconstitutional since the creator is mentioned there, but that's another message. Racism violates the temporal laws of government. Thirdly, racism violates the natural laws of genetics. Gregor Mendel, the father of genetics, and the, si- the science of studying chromosomes, genetic behavior and all, says that like begets like. Grapefruit does not give rise to grasshoppers. Like begets like. That is, humans come from humans. And so scientifically speaking, There is a brotherhood of man in that we all have descended from Adam. And I got to thinking about this even this morning. I thought, well, all of the the, the chromosomes needed for all of us, that is the genes on the chromosomes needed for all of us, go back 6,000 years to Adam and Eve. And then I said, I caught myself. I said, no, they don't go back to Adam and Eve. They go back to Adam. Why don't they go back to Eve? She's what? She's from him. She's from him. And so in a very literal scientific sense, every race, eye color, shape of body, uh, uh, amount of brain cells, hair or no hair, whatever, and everything else actually can be scientifically traced back to the genetic material that God placed in Adam. And so white person, when you don't have a lot of use for black person, then you are basically saying, uh, I, I don't have use for my own part of my own family. And black person, when you have something that you look uh, a little bit questionable about um, Latino person, and I can just give this, the same illustration time and time and time again, you are basically hating part of your own family tree. It's absurd. Scientifically, if you were an unbeliever, if you were lost, if you were an atheist, it's absurd to be a racist. 
because you're part of the same family tree. Scripture speaks to this scientific point in Acts 17, 26, where it says, God hath made of one blood, and that's talking about one genetic, all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. So, children, in the family of man, why is there racial distinction? Why are there distinctives about us physically and to a degree um, functionally, muscle groups, abilities to do this, that, or the other thing, maybe seem uh, particular diseases that are, are more common uh, for some races than for others. Why are there distinctions? It has to do as much as anything with geographical inbreeding. That is when the nations, when the people were sent out to the, the, the four corners of the earth in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of, of, uh, of Babel, God says, I'm going to confuse their language. I'm going to separate them and they're going to go to the four winds and they're going to set up people groups there. And they became isolated by, uh, by uh, uh, oceans, by uh, the Himalayas, possibly, uh, by uh, large rivers. They became geographically isolated. And so those people groups who, were, who carried uh, all of the genetic material from Adam, they were inbreeding, that is, moms and dads from the same group for generation after generation. And so what happened? Well, we know what happened now. The dominant genes came to the forefront. The recessive genes took a back seat to the degree that they were almost not even there any longer, uh, statistically speaking. It's like there was, um, for those uh, people in Africa, surrounded by ocean, by and large, and, and, and to the north and to the east by uh, people who did not want them to come in or else there was going to be a war. And so they stayed down in Africa. Well, after hundreds and thousands of years, not hundreds of thousands, hundreds or thousands of years. Did you follow the distinction I just made? Okay, you with me? Stay with me now. After a, a couple of three or 4,000 years of that inbreeding, all of the white pigmentation, that is the light, the thin, the less quantity of melanin was genetically uh, distant. And so the dark melanin or the brownish dark pigmentation is what became prominent. Those who were in other areas in Iceland or Greenland, maybe something else happened. Those who were in Asia were also locked in by distance or by ocean. And so they had different um, facial qualities that, that became prominent, different eye uh, 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 structure of, 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 of the eye, for instance, or possibly nose or lips or, or height, uh, the, that sort of thing. And so it's an issue of going back to Adam these folks went over here, these folks went over here, these folks went over here. And a few thousand years later, stronger genes in this group was this. Other ones are dominant genes, not stronger, but dominant ones manifested this way. Recessive ones or those not as common uh, manifested in another way. Did you all follow that argument? That is an important point. And so therefore, the only difference really was one of geography over hundreds of years. But by the way, by the way, relative to this issue of evolution and, um, and special creation or intelligent design, we all still have 23 pair of chromosomes. You know who, what other entity, you know what other organic 
living entity in all of the universe has 23 pairs of chromosomes, guess what other one does? Which one? None. What does that mean? We're not an animal. We're not a plant. We're not a mineral. We are a special creation, the crowning glory of God's creation. Mankind created in his image from one person with all of the genetic material needed for all of us and billions of others who have lived housed right there. We are wonderfully and fearfully made and that my soul knows right well. Amen. Racism is absurd. The greatest example of discrimination of hatred, being prejudice, as foolish as it was, even though we had the preamble to the Declaration of Independence, that we're all created equal. The greatest example, in my estimation, is not slavery in pre-Civil War America. The greatest example in some of your lifetimes was not anti-Semitism under Nazism in Germany. The greatest example of human indignity have been the multiplied hundreds of millions of babies who have been destroyed through abortionists. Abortion, utterly anti-God, utterly antisocial, utterly anti-biological. The absurdity of racism. Finally, the absence of racism. We can't get to it. We can't get to it. I'm sorry. (laughs) This was, I tell you, my soul is full of this subject. Let me allude to it. You can look at it. Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22, the absence of racism. That is, God has torn down that middle wall. He has taken down all of the things, the superstructures that man would want to develop because of race, because of gender, because of a different intelligence or education or any of those things. And he has made in Christ one new man, the people of God, the children of God. And how does it play out in the human sphere? Well, believers enjoy a perpetual alliance. That is, there's a partnership. There is a a sense that there is a relationship with God, verses 11 through 13 and verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 2 allude to that, as well as with one another. You see, we're related to God. We have an alliance with God as him being our father and we being his children. But folks, we also have an alliance with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's not dependent. As a matter of fact, it's absolutely uh, undependent, non-dependent on race, gender, age, um, or uh, anything else. It has to do with holiness in Christ. It is a spiritual dynamic. It is a spiritual phenomenon. That God has brought to pass, and it is what binds us together. I want to remind you that there will be perpetual racial diversity in heaven. Did you hear that? I believe, I'm convinced, more and more than ever before, there will be perpetual racial diversity in heaven. That is, there'll be red, yellow, black, and white, precious in his sight, in heaven. 
You say, where do you get that? How do you know that that's going to be the case? Well, the word of God says in Revelation 5, 9, John uh, was, was taken up. Come up here. I'm going to show you what's going to happen hereafter. And in Revelation 5, 9, it says in heaven, the redeemed were gathered around the throne of God out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. You say, well, yeah, people are saved all over the world. They always have been. But the issue is, how did John know that? How did he know with the, the teeming multitudes around the throne of God? And he declared out of every sect of people, every kind of, of race and nationality and origin and, and ethnicity, they're gathered around the throne. He knew it, I believe, because there is some racial ethnic distinction in heaven. And isn't that the heart of God anyway? That he would uh, have, to use the... <laughs> a rainbow kind of an approach uh, to his people as they're in, in his presence. Finally, because of Christ, we enjoy peaceful acceptance. The war with God is over. The war with one another ought to be over. He's the prince of peace. We are his children. And God's acceptance of me means that I ought to accept, not that I accept the sin of other people. I'm talking about accepting that person, any other person as a special creation for God and one who needs the gospel or if the person is already saved, a brother or a sister in Christ. You might be thinking, well, fine, I'll accept. If you're if you're a white Anglo-Saxon like me, I'll accept blacks who know the Lord or if you're a black, I'll accept Hispanics. Or if you're Oriental, I'll expect all, uh, accept all those other races. If they know Christ and love him like I do, and we're on a spiritual, same spiritual plane. But those who don't know the, the Lord, the ungodly, um, I have my preferences. I want to remind you that Romans 5.8 says, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. You were accepted in the beloved in eternity past. <laughs> now deal with that one. Deal with that one. If there's any hint of racial preference in your heart, I want you to try that one on for size. I thank the Lord for the history of multinational, multicultural, multiracial representation here at Redbridge. We don't target any group. We don't say, and never have that I know of as a congregation, well, the demographics in our community has changed. It used to be all Anglo-Saxon uh, 40 years ago. Now it's, uh, now it's you know, 22% black and it's 18% uh, uh, Hispanic and 5% and uh, Asian. Therefore, we need to uh, target. No, no. How about let's just go after the lost, amen? How about let's just grow the saints and love folks where God has them and who and in what way uh, he has them. We need to face it. We have historically been uh, and continue to be a white Anglo-Saxon congregation predominantly, but not primarily. That's not our primary focus. That happens to be our predominant demographic. That's not a good or a bad thing. It's just simply how it is. If you're saved and you don't like this message, See, if you're lost, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised that you wouldn't like this message. I, if you're lost 
If you're in your sin and you have never experienced the love of God, you very well might not have any use for this kind of teaching and philosophy and theology. And that wouldn't particularly rattle my cage or surprise me at all. But if you are a believer and you cannot handle racial diversity and it being openly embraced and that we are one in him, then it could be that Red Bridge isn't the place for you. And frankly, for the first million years, heaven might be uncomfortable as well. Racial alienation can be healed through spiritual reconciliation. Have you experienced that? Do you know him? Where's your heart relative to those not like you? Lord, I'm so thankful that you came to...